Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. All right. Well, I, I want to just emphasize again what, what David said and the importance of journey groups. And one of our values here at Gateway is relationships. And relationships don't happen. They occur in community with other people. And that's why those, those are so important, especially if you're, if you're new or even if you've been here a while and you don't know many people. That's how you connect in. That's how relationships grow. And it's also how God uses others to help you grow in your spiritual journey. So I really want to encourage you, and because I'm the pastor, I can tell you about my group and, and uh, point you to that if you're interested. It's called Alpha, and it's a, it's a, a, a class uh, uh, that, that helps people explore the Christian faith. And so particularly, if you're someone that you're not sure about all this church stuff yet, you're not sure who, about Jesus, you've heard us singing, and you, 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 you may have sung with us, but it, it, maybe it doesn't all click, I really hope you'll consider joining us. Or if you just need to get a better understanding of what this faith is about, we're a class that loves to explore um, and, and, and ask, have questions and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I hope that you will consider that and, and be a part of that. Because again, one of our values is, is, in fact, relationships. And that's one of the great places where that occurs. Also, just want to, again, they mentioned our, our children's ministries having their jumpstart uh, event right after this. Guys, another one of our values is servanthood. And, and that is because we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to serve, to love our neighbor. And if you don't have a place yet, that's another place where you connect, where you build relationships, and it's also another place where you can really make a difference, really make a profound in, impact with our kids. And I hope you'll, you'll think about that because the beauty of it is you can walk right out here today, turn in a card for journey groups, and then walk right down the hall and be trained and, and discover where you might fit in best. So anyway, those are, those are coming up. Uh, both of those today, you can do something with them. So I just want to point you to that again. Uh, we're, we're continuing in this series called Mythbusters. And, you know, I, I loved the little video there a moment ago where she was, you know, blowing out the candles of a birthday cake, sort of like, what, what's your wish? I mean, we all tend to have our wish lists that we, we approach God with. And sometimes we, we pray for those things, sometimes good and, and sometimes Things don't happen. Sometimes we're praying to get through a traffic light or to get a, get a raise at our job or, or to have a loved one healed. There, there's a whole subset of Christianity, if you will, that, that has sort of this, it came, gained kind of this name of name it, claim it. If, if I just say it, it somehow it, it, God's going to do it. And, and there's a real, there's some issues there, and that's why we're in this series called Mythbusters, looking at statements and belief in the Christian world that are often readily accepted, and yet as we've seen over the last several weeks, many of them are corruptions of, of what's actually in the Bible, or they're not in the Bible at all. And unfortunately, it's not just that, oh, you're not believing something correct. It is these things have, have impact on people around us, or perhaps even on ourselves, even with the best of intentions when they're used, they can hurt someone. Perfect example, Ted Turner, self-made billionaire, founder of CNN, um, raised in a Christian family, even considered himself becoming a missionary. 
And yet his younger sister, Mary Jean, became ill and he prayed for her. And and she got worse and worse over five years and he desperately prayed that God would heal her and spare her life. But she died. And for decades after that, Turner was adamant that he was an atheist. He said he could not believe in a loving God who allowed his sister to suffer and die. And you may know others like that. There's a movie that came out this year, God's Not Dead, and that theme is also in that that movie as well. It happens more than we know because sometimes the the understanding of what God is trying to teach us is not not completely clear. I'll give you an example. Holly's brother read about Holly's brother Seth in this tragic automobile accident, left him severely disabled, pretty much helpless, almost no ability to communicate. And yet a, a Christian visiting them in the hospital said to them, if you just had enough faith, your son would be healed. So somehow, Seth's healing was up to his family and their faith. I want to tell you all something. The devil loves to help us feel inadequate, to help us feel condemned, that, that we we're, don't have enough faith, that we're not worthy for God to love us or to forgive us. I mean, he loves to plant those seeds in our minds and, in, and sometimes accidentally in the words of the others, of our others. but those are lies. Jesus said in John 3.16, a verse so many of us know so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But the next verse is almost as important because he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Notice condemnation is not what God wants to do to anyone. But the devil does. He loves for us to feel that way. God sent his son to save the world, to save you, to save me, to save those who aren't in a church anywhere. It's his goal, it's desire to save them, to draw them to him and and help them enter into faith in him and bring them into his kingdom. But the reality is his kingdom has not come in full. It's, it, it, we see the, the effects of it, of, of love and salvation, beginning here and now. We, we see miraculous things happen. We see incredible things going on. But yet his kingdom has not fully come here on earth, which means that, that we don't see all the manifestations of his kingdom. We don't see all the things that will happen someday. Now, I, I, I want to just admit to you, I want to confess to you this morning, this is a a huge topic to tackle, in my opinion, because I've seen sometimes that, that folks have, have, with the best of intentions, um, said things to harm others in their journey of faith. And I, I'm certainly not claiming perfect knowledge, I, I, but, but I know that there's some important stuff here for this morning that God wants us to, to recognize. And, and it, it is clear that part of Jesus' mission here on earth, as we've already talked about, is to bring healing. I mean, all you have to do is look at Scripture. Matthew 9, Jesus asked the two blind men, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him. We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. 
Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Luke 17, Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. A couple examples. Jesus healing people who were ailing, and he says because of their faith. Yet there are other examples where it was not the faith of the one being healed, but faith of another that led to the person's healing, like the faith of a mother. In Matthew 15, Jesus said to her, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Uh, or the faith of some friends that brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. Luke chapter 5, seeing their faith, their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Man, we have seen amazing things. We have seen God do miracles. But notice, in, in, in this case, neither, neither case was the healed person's faith ever even mentioned. The result of healing the paralyzed man, though, was that people left to go praise God and worship him. Now, healing is probably one of the most obvious examples, but faith is a common element in many of the ways that God works in your life and mine, whether it's guiding us or teaching us or forgiving us. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So it's important that we really understand what faith is. And thankfully, just a few verses earlier, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us what faith is. He says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for and, and who Jesus is and what he promises and what he brings will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Now, sometimes we see in the Bible the words faith and believe used interchangeably. Sometimes we use them interchangeably. But sometimes the Bible makes a distinction between the two. Sometimes believing can be limited to just what I would call intellectual assent, a, agreement that, that I believe something is true or like I believe God exists. And, and, and yet believing God exists doesn't by itself carry a lot of weight. In James 2, it says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds, in other words, living that faith out in our daily lives, is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Abraham trusted God. And because he didn't just believe he existed, but he trusted him that when he perceived what God was calling him to do, he acted on that trust, on that faith. And we read about that in Genesis. And therefore, the Bible says that Abraham was, was credited as being right with God in a right relationship with him, even though he was a sinner, like all the rest of us. In the book of James... He's showing us that, that in, in, in this case, believing can be simply intellectually saying, 
I know something exists. I know something is there. I, I, I believe God exists. And, and that's a wonderful statement. But that statement in and of itself may not mean any com- personal commitment or trust. Just because I believe in existence doesn't mean I trust him. Hebrews says faith is believing or trusting God, that we, we really do have hope. There is a future, there is a kingdom, and, and we can be saved, and we can have eternal life with him in Jesus Christ, even though that hope is not yet a fully a fact in any of our lives today. We are saved, but we're still here, living out our lives. We still sometimes make mistakes. We still sin at times. We're still drawn to things that aren't good or healthy for us because our salvation is not going to be complete with all of its benefits until we meet Jesus face to face, either because he returns or we die and go to him. And James says this kind of faith is shown by our actions, by how we live, whether we don't just say it, we don't just agree with it, but we trust God to the extent that we live our lives as if what he says is true, that we believe it and we act, it, act on it. I want to suggest to you there are a lot of people in this world who, who claim to be Christians who do not act on faith. And that's the, the, the essence of what God is saying here is the critical issue. That could mean believing God really does love me. I, I mean, I, I think that's one of the great challenges of our world today is to believe that God honestly loves me the way I am. I don't have to fix myself up. I don't have to get my act together first. I don't have to do some things. He loves me. In the midst of all my mess, And he forgives me, even though I don't deserve it. It could mean that he has a a plan for my life, that that there really are things that I do that have ultimate significance, that if I go and serve, for instance, with children, that it, it makes a difference. Even if I feel like sometimes I'm just there, that even my presence, God can use that to speak into the lives of those children. Or that I'm blessed when I give my time or my resources, all kinds of things that it it means. But here's the thing we need to see this morning. Faith is not synonymous with physical healing this life or, or, for that matter, getting God to do something for us, something we want, something that we think ought to be something God would do. And Paul's a perfect example, the Apostle Paul. We know God used the Apostle Paul to heal individuals. And, and in fact, even Paul experienced healing. At the, at the end of the book of Acts, we find that he's been shipwrecked. He's on an island. He's helping some of these folks find some driftwood to burn, to create a fire. And in doing so, it says a viper or a poisonous snake latched onto his hand. And they had to actually pull it off of his hand. And yet, there were no ill effects. He was healed instantly. I'm sure that the love of Christ and Paul led him to want to heal everyone he encountered. I mean, illness and disease is not 
God's perfect will for his creation. And certainly Paul would have felt that for those who were in, in mission with him. And yet he writes to, the, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh that he received from Satan to torment him and keep him from being proud. And, and if any person, if any human being had faith, it was Paul. But his faith, his faith did not lead to his healing in this situation, even though he had been healed from a snake bite. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take the thorn in my flesh away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. But even Jesus, God's own son, who did have perfect faith, didn't get everything he desired. On the night in which he was betrayed, after leaving the Last Supper and going with his friends to the Mount of Olives to pray, it says, Jesus went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. In other words, I would rather personally not have to go through this. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And we know that not 12 hours later, he was hanging on the cross he did not fight it. He did not shirk from it because he understood it was what God was calling him to do. And in faith, he lived out the life he was given because he loved God and he trusted God's plan, God's will, even more than his own desires. Folks, faith simply is trust. Think of it that way. And not some kind of power you and I wield with its effectiveness determined by how much faith we have, as if, like, it's up to me. It's how much faith I have is, is what we sometimes think. But what that does is that turns faith into a work, into an effort of ours versus simply trusting God. The Bible shows us that even having a little real faith is enough. Let me give you the, 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 the occasion Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John, three of the 12 disciples, up with him onto this mountaintop. And while there, it says he, he was transfigured. We call it the transfiguration. His, his countenance started to glow. And, he, and suddenly, Moses and Elijah were there with him, and Jesus was talking to them. And the other three disciples, Matthew, James, or Peter, James, and John, they're staring there. They're looking at us. They're in awe. I mean, this is one of the most amazing things they've ever seen. And then they hear a voice from heaven telling them that this is their, his son, Jesus, and that they're to listen to him. And they don't know what to make of all of this. It's an incredible experience. A little while later, they're coming down from the mountain, coming off that mountaintop experience, as we sometimes talk about. And, and as they come back down, they're confronted by the disciples coming up to them who had tried to heal a man's son who had seizures but couldn't. And so when the father sees Jesus, he rushes over, kneels before him, and asks him to have mercy on his son. In Matthew 17, verse 18, it says, Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. 
Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? I think that's a legitimate question. I think it's a very legitimate question because if you know up to this point, Jesus had already sent the disciples out to do some healing. They had actually cast out demons already at that point in their lives. Maybe the seizures overwhelmed the disciples. Maybe the crowd was pushing in too close and unnerved them. But whatever it was, they were unsuccessful in healing the boy. And so Jesus said to them, verse 20, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. In this case, it was God's will that the boy be healed. And through Jesus, he was healed. But, but he wasn't healed through the, the, the prayers of the disciples. And Jesus spoke of the littleness of their faith. And the sense here in the original Greek language is not the quantity of their faith, like how much or how little, but the quality of their faith. In this case, the disciples appear to have treated the authority given to them more as, a, as magic, as a bestowed power that operated at their beck and call as they wanted to be used. It was shoddy faith versus simply being little faith. For Jesus tells them even small amounts of genuine faith, faith in God, not in their abilities, not in their desires, faith in God is sufficient. And he used the example of a mustard seed's worth of faith. The mustard seed, as you can, you can see up here, was the, at the time the smallest of known seeds, typically only one or two millimeters in diameter. And yet when planted within a growing season, less than a year, this herb would grow to a height sometimes as much as 10 or 15 feet, branches strong enough that birds could sit in it. From something so tiny, something so large could grow so quickly. And Jesus says from that presence of small but genuine faith, the disciples could move mountains. Now, when he talks of moving mountains, he was using a colloquialism or a common expression of, of that time. Um, a great teacher back then who could really make Scripture clear, clear and resolve any difficulties was typically known as an uprooter or an, an, uh, a pulverizer of mountains. Uh, uh, scholar William Barclay said, to tear up, to uproot, to pulverize mountains were all regular phrases for removing difficulties. Jesus never meant this to be taken physically and literally. Now, I'm not saying he couldn't physically, literally do that. But the point is, this was an expression that was commonly used. And he's saying the disciples need true and right faith, even in tiny amounts, that trust God and expects him to do his will, whatever that may be. And that element was always a key element in everything Jesus did and taught. John chapter 5, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus, in other words, says, I only do my heavenly Father's will. Not what I desire, not what others desire, not what others want. And Jesus laid the same charge Upon us, He said in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go 
and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Now, several important things here to notice of what Jesus said. First, Jesus appointed them, and he appoints disciples today as well to bear fruit, which is another way of, of saying he appointed them, he appoints us to step out in faith and do good works for the sake of those around us, to love our neighbors, to love our world, to be of use and of, of service to the kingdom and to the community versus something that is just self-serving. Next, it is God the Father that gives the fruit, that is, that brings value to it. It's, it's not just of their own doing. There, there's something God is doing in the midst of that and through their submitting to him and it's fruit that lasts, Jesus says, or, or eternal fruit. In other, in other words, fruit that impacts a person's journey to heaven. See, when, when you or I serve the kingdom in some fashion, whether it's within the walls of the church or in mission beyond the walls of the church, if we are doing it in the name of Jesus, if we're seeking to do his will, then God is working through that. And a lot of times, there are miraculous things that happen and people's lives change in ways we couldn't have anticipated. Why? Because it's not just what I'm doing. It's what God is doing through me or beyond me. And finally, the Father gives fruit only in Jesus' name. In other words, fruit that aligns with the life and will of Jesus, which means, as we've already said, the, the will of our heavenly Father. And when you see that expression, in his name, or when we pray in the name of Jesus, what we are saying is, is that we want to align with Jesus. If it is within the will of Jesus, which means within the will of the Father, great. But if it is not, even if it seems to us a good thing, we will defer to the heavenly Father who knows the perfect thing. And that explains what Jesus taught his disciples then and now to pray. He said, pray like this. Father, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not what I think is best, even if it's good, but your will. And so when Jesus says in reference to the faith of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible to you, he tells us to trust God that nothing in God's will, done for God's reasons, by God's power, in God's timing, is impossible. And if God desires to physically move a mountain, he certainly could. And if God desires in that moment to bring physical healing, he certainly can. And yet, though nothing is impossible, it's always about God's will. It's not about me or what I want or what I think is best, or what appears to be best. And I want to tell you, there is some mystery in the midst of all this to what God's immediate will is in, in situations, even if we are clear that in the end he desires to bring all into heaven with him. That is his desire. And yet in the moment, I'm not going to tell you, I always know. Paul prayed. He didn't seem to always know exactly what God wanted to do in that time. Isaiah 
quoted God as saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Many of us in here read our Bible on a daily basis, have a daily devotion time, and a lot of us in this church use what's called the Life Journal Reading Plan. And interesting to me, on Friday, the reading was, one of the readings was from Daniel chapter 3. And in that chapter, three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, are, are turned in to the Babylonian authorities for failing to worship a, a giant golden statue that B the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, had set up and, and had issued a decree that all were to worship this statue or they were to be punished by death. And, and when they are brought before the king, here is their response in chapter 3, verse, beginning in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to serve us. He can save us. He can do it. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, no matter what happens. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. No matter what the outcome is, the Bible, they say, is clear. We're not to worship other gods. We're not to put our trust in, in ultimately in anything other than our Heavenly Father. And when we are called to do that, these, these guys say, we will not. We'll take whatever comes. Can God save us? Absolutely. Will he? We hope so. And in fact, we know he did. They were confident that God was more than able to save them. But they did not presume to know whether that was God's will in their particular situation. It was possible that he would not. It was possible that they would die in the furnace. But they weren't basing their faith on the outcome. Their faith was in God, not in the circumstances. And that may seem strange to us to say that, like, why wouldn't God want everyone to be saved from a fiery furnace for expressing faith in him or, or everyone to be healed? Why wouldn't God want someone to be healed who has turned their life over to him? Or, you know, and, and trust me, I, I talked about this some last week, and, and I look across this congregation, and I see a lot of people I know pray for healing. I, I see a lot of people in here who are struggling in the midst of things going on in your life. And you would love for God to change that. And there, there are many of you on prayer lists here that we're praying for. I believe God does want everyone to be healed, everyone to have abundant life, everyone to experience all of his grace. But healing in a life that's been lived only 10 years or, or 30 years or even 70 years that's all any of us can see is from our perspective. That's all we know from the length of time we've had. But I love what Rick Warren says, that, that God looks at it, he looks at this life as just the kindergarten for real life, for eternal life, for life that never ends. And so God's perspective 
from, from before the beginning of time to after the end of time, he encompasses all that. He sees more than we can ever imagine. He, he witnesses more than we can know. He knows every thought that we have. He knows everything that has happened, is happening, will happen to any of us. He has a plan in the midst of all that that is so much more than, than we can possibly know. I, I know that can sound sometimes like a cop-out. But, and, and so I have to think of it sometimes like a, a dad with my kids. And, and my kids, at times, they will come to me with the best of intentions, wanting something that they believe is good. And for reasons that sometimes they're not even ready to understand, I have to say no. Now, I, I, I'm not the perfect dad, <laughs> so let me say that clearly. But even I sometimes, and I bet many of you sometimes, have seen those circumstances. And I think God wants us to see that he is looking at the big picture more than us. And the day is coming when the kingdom of God fully arrives, when we will all be healed of every affliction, not just the physical ones, everything. For all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Revelation 21 gives a great picture of this. I heard a shout from the throne, John says, saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Why? Because there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. How many of us in here are afflicted by death or sorrow or crying or pain? How many of us experience that in our lives or lives of those we know and love? And the promise is when his kingdom comes, which we are to pray for, those things will be gone forever. In the end, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we're not there yet. And for reasons, quite honestly, that we don't always fully understand or even can comprehend, not everything is going to happen the way you and I think it should. Even when we believe it is a good outcome and it is a reasonable one and there are, there are perfectly good reasons for that. So that, for instance, not everyone experiences physical healing, at least in this life. I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to make that up. All you and I have to do is look around the world we're in and we witness that. Good people, godly people who still suffer ailments. There are some of the most godly people I know in this church right now battling cancer. I pray every day. I don't know what God's going to do. But I know that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus is going to be saved to experience spiritual healing that begins now. And someday, when we meet Jesus face to face, healing in every way, in every possible way that we can imagine. As Hebrews says, this is what is hoped for, but not yet seen in all its fullness. And yet when we do see those miracles, and we do, 
They give us a, 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 a glimmer. They give us a, a small window into the kingdom and what it's going to be like. That we, we can have hope. We see evidences. We see the kingdom breaking through into this world. And that's why we want the kingdom to come. We want to see that. I want to see everyone healed. I want to see everyone saved. I, there is no one apart from that. And by faith, we will see that. But it is not a fact today in all of our lives in this world. Brandon Dietz, who, who plays guitar over here, sings, and, and all. we were talking earlier in the week about this, and he said something to me that, would, that really struck home. He said, committing our heart to an outcome of our desire is simply a wish. Committing our heart to the outcome of God's desire is true faith. Not my will, but thy will be done. Folks, faith is the key. And faith, faith is not magic. Faith, in fact, does not bring about miracles. God does. And so the idea of enough faith really doesn't fit what the Bible teaches. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote, To concentrate on the strength of our own belief is to practice magic. To concentrate on the strength of God is to practice faith. This is not just semantics. This is the difference between believing our lives are, are, are in our own hands and believing they are in God's. God, not faith, works miracles. Our faith doesn't change God. It changes us. It helps us to see. If we fail to have faith, then we fail often to see what God is doing. We fail to see the miracles that are happening all around us. The miracle even of life itself. How many of us see a gorgeous sunset and we say there must be a God? Or we see a child up here dedicated and we see God's wondrous creation. And are we looking throughout our day for those miracles that are all around us for those who have eyes to see? For those who have faith. If we have faith, we let God into our lives and we start seeing all the places he is working in and it becomes such a wonder and such a joy to us and we are, we are thankful for every experience and therefore we praise him. We worship him. Worship does not become something I come to once a week. Worship becomes my lifestyle. As I live daily in his presence, in his awareness, and as I observe him working wondrous things around me. Faith is not the vehicle for God's grace that allows it to happen, but the door letting him and his grace into my life so that I can see it and experience it. The ultimate goal of faith is to trust God in all circumstances, regardless of the outcome. To hand him my life, to believe him versus experiencing what I want, whether it be healing in this life or getting something I want because I think it's a great idea or, or, or whatever. It's God, what is it that you want? And so we either have faith, even if it's tiny and small like a mustard seed, or we don't. The Bible shows that enough faith 
really isn't the issue, but the focus of our faith is. And we get confused or feel inadequate or condemned if the outcome we're seeking doesn't occur. If it's not what I want, if it's not what I'm praying for, then somehow God must be failing me or my faith is not enough. And we sometimes have missed the whole boat. So we have to decide if we're going to have faith in God to trust him, no matter how things may turn out. And that shows itself then through our actions because we take steps of faith, even tiny ones, doing what God wants us to do in any given setting, no matter how hard, no matter what the outcome. And this whole thing about faith is so challenging and it requires a lot of humility. And I want to be clear. I don't have all the answers. I'm flesh and blood like you. And, and there are things I have prayed for that haven't happened. I think, God, this would be a pretty good idea. But I've also seen God do incredible things, miraculous things, transformative things. And it is amazing. And sometimes it's what I've prayed for, and sometimes, in fact, it's the opposite of what I have prayed for. I do not understand everything God does or does not do. But I have faith in him that he will do what is right, that he loves you, he loves me. In fact, there is no one he does not love. And so my faith is in God, revealed through Jesus Christ, and I will trust him. I will choose to trust him regardless of the outcome. I want to live as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived. To simply leave the outcomes to God. Because I have chosen to believe. I have chosen to act on the belief that what God wants for me, for others, for this world, is going to always be best. And that his timing is always perfect in his, his incredible transcendent view of all of life, all of creation, for all of eternity. And so here at Gateway, we pray for the sick because James tells us to pray for the sick. And so our prayer team will be down here in just a moment to pray for you if you'd like. And yes, we have seen miraculous things occur. Sometimes people have been healed. Sometimes they've been other kinds of miracles that they would tell you were even greater miracles than they had imagined. We pray because it's that important. And yet we're not gonna play a blame game or say someone doesn't have enough faith when physical healing or, or any other outcome we think it should be doesn't come to pass. Ultimately, we are praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we'll leave the means and the power and the timing and the glory to him. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I, I feel so, so inadequate in talking about you. You are incredible. And I know in my finite mind, I only begin to grasp the smallest part of who you are and, and what you do. 
but it has been enough for me that I have chosen to place my faith in you through Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. And many of us have done likewise. And yet, Father, our faith is, is small. And sometimes it's even shoddy. And I pray you would give us the faith of a mustard seed. And that then we would act on that faith, whatever it is. Trusting you for the outcome. We will tell you what we, we think. We will we'll share with you our hopes, our, our dreams, our wishes. But ultimately, by faith, we leave it in your hands. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Don't forget to join us for journey groups and jumpstart for our kids. God bless you. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.